things a little bit differently today. Um, I'm going to ask you to kind of work with me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a stream of consciousness, um, New Year's thoughts. Uh, I've been vertical or uh, actually horizontal for about a week. And, um, and, and whenever, whenever I talk to people, usually when they're down and out or whatever, I, I encourage them to take time to listen to the Lord because sometimes that's the, the best opportunity for Him to speak to us. And I find it's probably true for my life as well. So I'm going to uh, just hang with me today as I kind of walk you through some thoughts, some thinking, some, some biblical ideas and uh, reframing of what I sense God speaking and lead us in. Um, the, the month of January, I don't know if you know, this is named after the Roman god Janus. And this god uh, was two-faced. It was, had one face looking forward, and then the other face was looking back, which is really apropos, isn't it, for January? Because it's kind of looking back and reflecting on where you've been, what you've done, as well as looking forward with a sense of, listen, I'm going to anticipate, I'm going to change, I'm going to make some movements, I'm going to do some things, maybe just a little bit differently. Now, I'm not talking at all today about New Year's goals or resolutions or anything like that. That's kind of your thing. And um, I'll let you do that. But you, you know what most of the popular New Year's resolutions are, don't you? What? Lose weight. Yeah, that's got to be number one. Eat healthy. Exercise. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll do this for a second. If you are a... Um, go, take a moment and just quickly go around the table, share one New Year's goal or resolution. Don't give a dissertation on it. Just share. This is the one thing. Not five. This is one thing I know I'm going to do this year. Go ahead. Now, for those of you who are sick of making resolutions year after year and you've never kept half of them past February, here are some resolution options that you might actually want to accomplish. Okay? If you want to take notes. Number one, uh, these are some things you can probably really get taken care of. Number, uh, number 10, uh, read less. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is for those of you who have trouble keeping your resolutions. You can probably keep these, okay? Feel better about yourself. I'm taking the opposite track on this, okay? Uh, number 10, read less. I just don't want to be smarter, of course. Uh, number 9, I, I want to gain weight. I'm going to work to put on 20 pounds this year. I'm going to stop exercising. It's a waste of time. Number seven, I'm going to watch TV because I'm missing a lot of the good stuff. Number six, I'm going to, press, I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to put off today what I can do tomorrow and next week. Number five, I'm going to use more credit. They keep giving it to me, so I probably might as well use it. I'm going to start being superstitious, number four. Number three, I'm going to spend more time at work. Number two, I'm going to stop bringing lunch home because I should eat out more. And the last, take up a new habit. Start smoking or something. Well, obviously, I'm being a, a little facetious, tongue-in-cheek. Goals and resolutions are good. They have their place. I'm, I'm setting and, and recalibrating mine personally in my personal life, my pastoral life, my professional life, uh, with my family. I I'm really am convinced of this, friends, that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And, and at least get started. Get something, two or three. Get them in place and begin to determine that you're going to work on them. 
and, and, and allow God through the presence of his life and power to help you with it. Because around this time of year, most people I know, most leaders I know, and a lot of people I know, they, they really do live on the basis of this verse from Isaiah 32. It says, the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. And I think that, you know, if, if you, nobody will, will grow unintentionally. Do you know what I mean? Nobody just kind of floats into areas of growth, new habits and new patterns for your life. So you really do need to, to take a step and do some of those things. But as I said this morning, after being horizontal for um, uh, just a season, I, I had this stream of consciousness and kind of sensing what the Lord is saying to me. And I've been spending time personally in what the Bible calls, what they call the prison epistles. And a couple of those are, uh, there's a number of them. But the, the ones I've been looking at is I've just been thinking and trying to figure out church. You'd think after all this time, I'd probably have a little better grip on it. But um, I've been in Ephesians and Colossians and just been kind of struck with just the power of some of the verses in there that really talk to us about what the church is to be and, and what it's really all about. My goal this year, I'll give you my first goal, my primary goal is to please Jesus. And I know that probably it was, I, I was during our little brief prep, uh, staff prayer time this morning, uh, one of them looked at me and goes, well, don't you always try and do that? And I said, you know what I realized? This may sound bad, but I don't know that I have any really biggie areas in my life that I have to deal with. You know, there's little things here and there. There's patterns that you've got to always be aware of. But what I have found is I kind of, I have just enough this Christian thing down that sometimes I really don't even have to think about really pleasing Jesus because I just kind of get up, do my thing, and I figure, well, Jesus is probably pretty happy with me. And he is, just like he is you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that my life, the, the full-orbed focus and momentum of it is every day getting up to say, Jesus, how can I please you even more today? Not because I've got to work to do it, but simply because that's the direction of my heart. Just like in the morning when I get up, I say, how can I take care of Trina today? How can I be a blessing to her? How can I love her better? And I think that the same thing probably is a good, worthy goal in terms of how I live my life, probably how you live your life when it comes to pleasing Jesus. So I want to encourage you. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be much more intentional, much more thoughtful toward that. And, and some of that stuff is distilling out of what I'm going to share this morning. For the next month or so, I'm actually, we're going to cover some basic things, some things you've heard before. Uh, do come because you'll be challenged. It's kind of like starting a new year. Maybe it'll be the impetus to help you move forward. We're going to kind of go back to the start of some things, and I want to remind you about them. And then we're going to move into the book of Ephesians. We're going to study the book of Ephesians for a while because I really sense this is where God wants us to go and move, not only as a church, but as, as individuals and to learn some things. I want to talk to you just for a few more minutes here about community. Currently in our church, a large percentage of our time, energy, skills, and budget, and creativity are spent on Sunday morning. Uh, generally, are you pretty happy with Sunday morning? I mean, overall, is it uh, all right? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, how, many, how many of you make it a conscious effort to invite friends? Yeah, not many of us. Um, that's good. Kind of, not really, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, 
I, I, and probably you go, yeah, especially after today, Pastor, I'm really not going to do it because, uh, you know, I would want a friend to come into this. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, too, because this is, this is important. Um, well, Sunday morning is, unless you don't know this, probably 95% of the people, 98% of the people probably come to church through Sunday morning. Out of all the things that we do, still, this is the biggest attraction. This is what brings people in. And while I am committed to Sunday morning, obviously, because it attracts most people, um, I'm also committed to recalibrating uh, some of the things that we, we do. See, our city is like most cities that is in pain, and it breaks God's heart, the things that he sees taking place here. I mean, just look around. Broken homes, splintered families are on the rise. The economic difficulties that our country, but also our city and our county and our community is in, is causing havoc and problems on families, on the educational community. Uh, James said this in chapter 1, verse 27, uh, it is true and authentic faith in the eyes of God is caring for the widows and the orphans and those in need. And I want to make sure, friends, that our church always has an authentic faith. That we simply aren't just the mouth that talks, the mouth that roars, but we're the feet and hands of Jesus that go out and are involved. And for the most part, we really are. We're pretty good at that. But as I read the Gospels and I see Jesus, can I tell you what I see? It's not sermons and it's not songs that make us the most like him. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I hope that when you come here and the worship, we own, uh, the teams we have are phenomenal. And I hope that when you come, there's something out of probably every talk. If, if, if not, it's probably your issue. But you, you should be able to get something out of every talk that will help build your life for the next week. It may not be a great talk, but there's probably something. I mean, the word is spoken. But ultimately, those two things aren't going to make you necessarily a better Christ follower. Because you can come and enjoy the music, hear the word, and walk out, and nothing in your life ever changes. You just heard. You just kind of was a spectator. This is the question. What if we made Jesus available right where people live? Believe that this is our priority in everything that we're called to do. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus' kingdom centers on the person of Jesus. And our responsibility is to make an accurate presentation of him. Now, hear me. I'm not saying an evangelistic um, dissertation or, a, or a, a gospel statement about him. Our life is to be a presentation of of him. God is calling us to community and to be the community of God, well, in our home, in this place on Sunday morning, everywhere we go out there. I, I, I think I want to talk about the relocation of God. Because isn't there a tendency to think that we come here and this is where we see and experience God? And then we just kind of go out Monday through Saturday and, well, there's probably a little bit of God stuff going on. But I think we really have it wrong. I think we got it inverted. I think we have forgotten what the whole purpose of everything is of what we do. 
Oh, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Uh, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Here's the scriptures that have been kind of washing over me. Uh, uh, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says this. And he, God, put everything under his feet. Who? Jesus. Why? Because he is in dominion. He is over all. And God appointed him as head over everything, listen to this, for the church, which is his body. Okay, you got that? What is church? His body. He is the head. You do not disconnect the body from the head. We are to be connected to the head, who is Jesus. Now get this. The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now get that. Jesus is filling this place, isn't he? No. Well, yes. Truthfully, he's, you know what he's doing? He's filling you and he's filling me. That's where the presence of God fills this place. And we have to make sure that we are recalibrating our thinking for that because so often we think that we come here and that's where we're going to meet God. No, God came in with you. Well, better yet, let me tell you this. Let me see what Colossians says. Listen to what Colossians chapter 1 says. Let's start at verse, chapter 1, verse 15. This is kind of what we would call Christology, some theology of Christ that, that I, I want to make sure that in the season ahead is really calibrating our thinking for where we're going to be going as a church. Now, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by him everything was created in heaven and earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and ultimately for him. He is before all things, and by all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. That's why I want to make Jesus first place in my life more intentionally this year, because that's his rightful place. And he's not going to take that from us. We get to give it to him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, all the fullness of God, dwell in Jesus why? So that through him he could reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Hear me, that's the motif, one of the key motifs of the book of Ephesians. Everything is disunited. Jesus came to bring unity, to unite things, to bring the things that are out of place with God to bring it back together. And guess what he's going to use? He's going to use the church. Who is the church? Yes. Tell the person next to you, this is not the church. You are the church. Make sure they get that today. I know you're thinking, oh, I've heard that before. Yeah, but we're not living it. I don't think we're really living it. Now here. Uh, verse, skip down to verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am pleading in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. His body, that is the church, I have become its minister according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. 
The mystery hidden for ages. Hear that. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. What's the mystery? God wanted to make known to those among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is, this is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And why because of that? Well, now we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, I labor, I agonize, I strive with his strength that works powerfully within me. Now, I'm not going to do a a major teaching on this. Just just a couple of concepts that I want you to kind of begin the new year with. Um, I was recently asked, where's your church? And I started to go, well, it's at, uh, do you know where the shopping center is and where the hospice tree of lights is? 444 Fig Tree Lane. And they kind of were quizzically looking at me. And then I thought, you know what? Let me tell you where the church is. The, The church is at Martinez Junior High. Uh, the church is in a cubicle somewhere in Concord. Our church, our church is everywhere that Creeksiders go, live, and move, and have their being. That's where our church is. Listen, loved ones, you're not going to church today. You are the church. We celebrate that, but you're going to be the church tomorrow. And that's what we want, is Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday. And there's something that I want that to seep into my soul because I really do believe God gets relocated every day, every week, all the time because why? Christ is within us and we're not leaving him here. We're taking him with us. See, church is the address where we gather on Sunday. But if we see that as our only really gathering place, can I tell you something? We will become very static and we will no longer have our dynamic. And you know what else? These scriptures where it talks about Jesus filling all in all, none of those will make sense to us if we think that church is simply the place where we go and meet and we have activities. It's got to be who we are, what we do, where we're going. If the church is an institution and activities, none of this makes sense. Now, God, listen, God has progressively been relocating himself throughout history. Did you know that? You can really see it in three scenes. I told you I was kind of giving you a stream of thought, but let me take you through. The first scene is in the Old Testament, God is out there. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? Intimacy was broken through the sinfulness of man, the decisions of Adam and Eve. The first Adam sinned, and we would have sinned, and we continue to sin today. So where was God? Well, he was out there. He comes upon the sacrifices. He comes upon the mountain at Mount Sinai. He comes upon people, it says. But he was out there. And everybody was kind of afraid of God. But then all of a sudden, we just celebrated it. And part of this comes out of thinking about last, last week when we talked about Jesus, Emmanuel. Scene two, the New Testament Bursts open, brightness, the Son of God comes. And now in the New Testament, we see that God is with us. Most people are afraid of God. Did you know that? I've had people say they don't want to come here because they're afraid. Well, you know, <laughs> the building will cave in. And, and, and they're half, I mean, they're really, they're literally half serious. They think God's going to just do something to them. 
And that's the mentality. Some of you might have that mentality. Oh boy, I don't know. <laughs> I hope God's not mad at me because of something this week or whatever. But God does this remarkable thing. And he ushers in this dispensation of grace where he comes as a child. Who is ever intimidated by a baby or by a child? And then he begins to grow up into this man. And he's the one, he's the carpenter. He's making people's things. And they order stuff from him and he provides for them. And then for three years he ministers. And he says what? I am doing this so that you can see the Father. I love this. He doesn't come to promote guilt. He doesn't come to condemn. He doesn't come to put down. He comes, he says, to reveal the Father. As he ushers in this dispensation of grace of which we were still in. Why do so many people dislike the church today? Because we don't give grace. We condemn. We can't speak the truth without love. We would rather put down and, you know... Say, oh, you're, <laughs> you're no, no wonder people don't feel welcome in church. Now, listen, uh, and I said this at, at Christmas Eve, God never winks at our sin. Don't ever get that idea. But some people don't even know they're sinners. They really don't. But Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, I come to serve, not to be served. Luke 19, 10, his mission, I come to seek and to save the lost, those who are far from God. Why? Because the first scene, everybody was far from God. So now we see in scene two, Jesus comes and he's God with us. And you know what I realized on, after New Year, uh, Christmas Eve services last week? I get stuck there. God's with me. Yeah. Right on. God with us. And that's true. But you know what will impact my life? And you know what will impact your life? I believe more than anything in this new year, if we really begin to believe it, live it. Well, this is scene three, seen in the New Testament. Jesus leaves, why? Well, John 14, 17, he says, I'm gonna go so that I can, so that a comforter can come to you and live where? In you. Oh, now I'm beginning to make the connections with Colossians and Ephesians when he says the fullness of God fills everything in his church. God isn't just with us. <laughs> he is in us. And the fullness of God that dwells within Christ because Christ dwells within us through the presence of his spirit. Guess what? I, I can experience the same thing. How many of us are though? Honestly. I'm not. I don't think that everywhere I go, the fullness of God is displayed. And I'm thinking, man, I want that. I want to begin to go, and people don't go, oh, you know, Terry, he's a, he's a pretty nice guy. I might go to his church. No, you know what I think I really want to see happen this year? This is about pleasing God, being more intentional. I hope somewhere, somehow, people begin to go. There's, there's just something different about him, and it's in a good way. <laughs> there's almost something that I can't put my finger on. Or maybe if they know that about Jesus Christ, they would say, you know, he's kind of like Jesus. Because, listen, everywhere Jesus went in the New Testament, you, you, you look it up. Other than the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious dogs in the church at that time or the synagogue, the 
super spiritual people. Jesus, most of his responses to people was what? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? He went to the man at the pool. What do you want, sir? Blind Bartimaeus, what do you need? Woman at the well, are you thirsty? See, that's the life of Jesus. It isn't looking down on, it is reaching out to, and what can I do for you? I came to seek and to save. I came to serve, not be served. Uh, Let me just quickly close with this thought. We are an attractional church. Hopefully we do some fairly decent things on Sunday. Make it appealing, generally an easy entry point for people to come into. That's why I would hope that you would invite friends. That we aren't kind of whacked out and do some of the weird things that they do in churches that make people feel really uncomfortable. We are attractional. We will continue to be, quote, attractional. There's also a second way to do church, and it's called missional. Missional means you are on a mission. And you don't just sit there and wait for the people to come to you. You go to them. And I think Creekside does pretty well with that. We go out. We do things. We, we do things here on campus. We go into our community and represent Jesus to minister to, to reach out to. But this is the third thing that I want you to begin to think about for this year. We're attra- we try to be work to be attractional. We're going to continue to do that, although that may lose some of its emphasis. We work to be missional. Now we're going to work to be incarnational. What do you mean? Ultimately, this is what Jesus leads us to do. I hope you invite people to church. But even before you do that, I hope that when you're out there in our community, at your work, at school, at your job, in the supermarket, that you live with the realization that God is within me. That is my hope. And can I tell you something? That's the hope for everybody else around you. So that when you talk to people, there begins to be this understanding that God is not only in you, but he can work and speak through you. And you don't just have to, first thing, invite somebody to church to get them to hear God. They can hear God through you. Oh, pastor, I don't know the Bible. Uh, Jesus didn't say, I came to promote the Bible, although it's very important. He said, I came to serve. What can I do for you? How can I help you? Where are you hurting? Can I pray for you? That's incarnational. See, when the first Christians were called Christians in Acts eleven twenty six, you know what it means? Little Christ. Let's do away with the term. Have you ever thought, am I a good Christian or not? That's kind of a bad question to ask. Because if you've got to ask it, you're probably not. But that's really not the question. Am I a good Christian? You ever heard somebody, oh, they're a good Christian man. It probably means they go to church, they don't swear, smoke, chew, do, and go with girls who do. You know what I mean? They, <laughs> so, so they're a good Christian guy. No. You know what a good Christian is? Let me tell you one thing. They are looking more and more like Jesus. And they're acting like him. They're not acting like, you know, they're not acting super spirit. They're just acting like Jesus. Can I help you? Can I love you? Can I serve you? What do you need?
See, this is the mystery, loved ones, that Jesus lives within us. I used to read books. I used to watch TV. I used to go to the games when I lived in Portland. Pistol Pete Maravich was my favorite basketball player, and I studied him. I wanted to learn how to shoot a jump shot like him. I wanted to learn how to dribble behind my back like him. I wanted to learn how to throw behind the back passes, do all that stuff that he did because he was my favorite basketball player. And I studied him like crazy. And you know what I found out? Even though when I was like a freshman, sophomore in high school, my goal was to play in the NBA, I quickly realized after my junior year that wasn't going to happen. And I realized that I couldn't do the things that Pistol Pete Maravich did. Now imagine if he came in and he just deposited, if somehow he leaped off the page and could deposit himself in my life. You know what? I could hit the J like he did. I could dribble and pass and shoot and do all of those things like he did. Hear me. This year, my focus, our focus, isn't going to simply be imitation of Christ. It is going to be impartation of his life into us, where we really begin to become aware, loved ones, where we really begin to think. Everywhere you go, you're the church, and Jesus is with you, and he can work through you and speak And I hope, for me, that slaps the slack out of some of my loose sails in how I see myself and what I'm doing and how I'm living out there. And and probably I hope it does a little bit for our church. Because can I tell you something? We have a culture now that while being attractional is good, it's never going to reach the masses. It's going to be you and you and you and you and you where they see the hands of Jesus extended. Does that kind of resonate with anybody? Does that make sense? Does that bother you? Okay. Okay, good. Well, then would you do this? Would you just be the church and take hands with somebody next to you? And I want to pray before we take a little break. You know, there is one thing that always remains, and that is the love of Christ. Uh, Go ahead and and, uh, have a seat. Uh, One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and that's always cliche whenever a preacher says that, but it's true, um, is the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Uh, One author says that in in that Gospel itself, and I think Pastor Chris mentioned this, that, that Jesus is either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And uh, I, I love food. And so that intrigues me a lot. One of the places in Scripture where Jesus is revealed is in, is in this Gospel, chapter 24, where after the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, there's this couple named Clopas and, and his wife, presumably. They're headed home. And they're distraught, they're devastated that, that this Messiah, this person that, that they had thought was the guide to fulfill the, testament, the Old Testament, he died. They, they didn't realize the resurrection had happened, and so they were leaving Jerusalem on their about, it's about a seven or eight mile walk to their house. And uh, they're walking along, and along comes this man, and, and they were having a conversation about, gosh, this is what happened, and we're really sad about it. And he's like, why are you so sad? And they told him, well, the dude died, and he didn't come back. And he's like, well, let me tell you how prophecy works. And so Jesus, unbeknownst to them, begins to tell them everything that, that pointed from the Old Testament to the New Testament in that moment. And they were walking along, and they didn't know any better, and it was getting to be about nighttime. And, and they looked at him and said, Hey, listen, it's, we've been walking about seven or eight miles. We're hungry and thirsty. Why don't you just come into the house? Sit down. Let's, let's grab a bite to eat. Stay with us. 
and, and just hang out for a little while. He's like, no, I need to be going. I, I, I need, and they, they begged him, just stay. Just stay with us, eat, hang out. So he came in. So Jesus, unbeknownst to them, is sitting at the table with them. And as part of the ritual, they reclined at the tables. They didn't have chairs like this, so they, they reclined at the table. And, and at every meal, there was typically bread. And Jesus took that bread, and, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And at that very moment, you know what happened? They realized he was Jesus. At that very moment that the bread was broken, that food was going to be eaten, they realized, were our hearts not warmed as we walked along the road? As pastor talks about being incarnational, incarnational is being the hands and feet of Jesus where you are at all times. Not on Sunday morning and not when it's just convenient, but all the time. Oftentimes, you're the only representation of Jesus that people will ever see. And at some point in that relationship, this is my belief, at some point, if you are doing all that you can, you are not perfect. I hate to burst your bubble. You will mess this up. You will say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing and just do something stupid. It, it's inevitable. Wives, you know this. Because of your husband. But at some point, at some point, people will begin to see Jesus somehow. And at some point, I believe that they're going to say, were, were my, was my heart not warm? I was with that person. That there was something different in a good way. But what was that? And at that very moment, maybe you're sitting down at a table with them and, and having dinner or, or in anything. At that moment, they see Jesus. So this morning, one of the things that we want to do is we finished last year, just yesterday, uh, and last weekend at, at our Christmas Eve with communion, we wanted to begin the new year the same way. Often we don't do this back-to-back kind of stuff, but we wanted to be intentional. And, and as Pastor mentioned, you know, this year the focus is about Christ. We can say that, but it's, it's our activity that produces it. And so one of the things that we wanted to do this morning is to, to celebrate communion, to break that bread together, so that at some point we can say, gosh, were our hearts not warmed as we have now encountered Jesus? Uh, my heart, loved ones, for this year is to see our church grow. But more importantly, um, or just as importantly, is the key criteria is to see people's lives changed and transformed by God's presence and God's people that are reaching out to them and touching them. I We've always at Creekside, uh, if you're a guest today, I want to welcome you. Thanks for coming. This is a little different. Um, although this will probably become a little more common as we go because uh, we've always protected people's anonymity coming in. And uh, we just want people to kind of come, feel comfortable. But what, what, what sometimes happens with a lot of people is they kind of come for the show, but then uh, they're not challenged to grow at different points in different personalities. And... While I, I do want to, I want people to feel comfortable, you know, I, I, I want people to be challenged to jump in. 
and find out what this life of Christ is all about. And this is what I know about Creeksiders is you'll make them feel welcome even if they don't know what to say, have the right answers, how to pray and do all those kinds of things. But I really do believe that periodically, probably once every five or six weeks, definitely we're going to be doing this kind of a setting because I don't want people to just come to church. I want us to be the church. And the only way we can do that is if we're interacting because Jesus is the one that fills this place or fills us and then it's his presence. And if we just sit and spectate, then we're not going to be growing and we're not going to be able to connect and be able to commune with people and be able to reveal Jesus to them through one another. I, 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 I said this before, but I I dream, I imagine of the day when every Sunday I walk into this sanctuary and you know what I see? I see pockets of people, just two or three people just praying for one another because somebody walked in and said, wow, you don't look like you're doing well today. No, I'm not, blah, blah, blah. And instead of doing the perfunctory Christian thing that says, I'll pray for you and nine times out of 10, we forget. We just stop right there and say, Billy, would you come and join me? I, I wanna pray for John here. He's just got a tough thing going on. I dream of the day when we don't have to have prayer Because you know what that kind of says? It kind of says they're the professionals. They're the ones that got to do it. From now on, usually if people want me to pray for someone, I'll do it. But I'm always going to grab somebody else. Because can I tell you something? If Jesus is in us, if that is our hope of glory, guess what? The same Jesus that's in me is the same Jesus in us you and you and you. Do you think my prayers are any better than yours? If you think they are, then maybe you need to recalibrate how you see yourself as a little Christ. Because we have the same power within us. And I'd rather see you be the priest of your home or the priestess of your home praying for your family than feeling like I have to be the one to do it, even though I love doing it. But see, that's the kind of, that's the dimension of grace and life in Jesus that I want to see permeate this place. That we don't have to go get somebody to pray for somebody. We just say, you know what? (laughs) Jesus is within me. Let me give you an example of this, of a guy that right now in in our church and in my life I'm being challenged with. I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from texts that we've been going back and forth. It's been going on for about a month, month and a half. But let me just give you a couple. Things are cranking. Thanks, Terry. I have nobody else to tell these things to. I just help people. Hey, I pointed the light at this place in work and exclaimed, the light of the world was born today. They loved it. Peace out. There was a gal that I sang Silent Night with tonight while at work. It was three in the morning. I had just gotten off work. I was off work. I came out of her room with my eyes ablaze with tears. See, senor, I prayed over my entire Christmas party on a steel chair with my hands extended. There were maybe 50 people. There were these people, these people, and these people. It was like the Gettysburg Address, short, but several people ended up in tears. My message was just help people. It wasn't to promote, it wasn't to promote anything, it wasn't to profit, it wasn't even to convert. It was just to help people. I'm sitting in the jacuzzi right now, crying. Sorry, dude. 
couldn't see him. This guy, that's just a few of them. But you know what he's doing? He's not making a big Jesus thing. He's just being Jesus. He's, he's living out the life within him where he's going. Standing up on a metal chair at a Christmas party. Can I just pray for everybody? Minute and a half. Boom! By the time he's done, people are crying. Not all of us can do that. But some of us need to beware of being able to do it, maybe. And I'm not saying that we all go and do that. But you see, when God is really ablaze and working in us, wherever we go, he can be manifest. And we don't even have to preach a sermon, don't have to have an altar call, don't have to have a conversion. We simply be Jesus to people. This year, we're going to ramp up our prayer time. Uh, me personally, I am so convicted about that for our church. And we're gonna, I'm going to probably unveil some things in the next few weeks. Too often, I devalue prayer. I diminish it to something about my life, my ministry, what I want, what I need, what I desire. You ever do that? It's all about me. It's all about what I want. Ah, I want that new car. That gummit. I want that new house. That what, what, I mean, you know, and there's generally not, nothing wrong with that. But if that's the focus of our prayers, we're missing it. And I wonder if that isn't part of the reason why we don't see Jesus bigger than what he is. Listen to how Paul prayed in Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this. I want to become more audacious. I want to become more bold in my prayers this year. I want our church to become more bold. I want our church to believe for God to do things that only he can do. Not simply things that we want and desire. Paul says this in Colossians 1, 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Whoa. He's not asking for a new chariot, a new horse. He says, I want to know the will and wisdom of God and grow in spiritual understanding. Why? So that I can walk worthy of the Lord. Why? So I can fully please him. Why? So I can bear fruit in every good work and the growing knowledge of God. Paul is in prison. And he's not praying, God, get me out. See, these are the things of eternity. These are the things that well, we, we want to pray for. See, so often we, we, focus, we focus on the fruit side. Oh, God, get Bobby off drugs. Oh, Bobby, oh, God, break the rebellion in Bobby's life. We don't see Paul praying like that. You know what he prays? He prays, he prays for the root. God, let there be revelation of God. Let there be the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Let there be the, the revelation of who God is so that once he gets that revelation, once she gets that revelation, then the bounds of whatever it is will break free, will break them free. I love that. And he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. Uh, the word there, endurance, is hupomony. And it's, it's not simply being enduring where you just allow things, put your head down and things just to, to bowl over you. But it does deal with things and situations where they come at you, but you can stand against them and turn them into God's glory because of the way that you endure and triumph over them. The way you face things. You just pray for this. Pray for patience. This is Markothumia. The word is 
long-suffering in patience. And this, listen, this has to do with patience for people. It's a quality in heart of a man or a woman which makes a person to bear with people in their unpleasantness, in their maliciousness, in their cruelty without becoming bitter. They just realize that's people. They don't allow people's unpleasantness to drive them to despair, their folly to irritation, or their unloveliness to bitterness. They simply begin and continually have a hope for everybody. Now, that doesn't mean you become a welcome mat and you just go, okay, bring it on. It doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean you stand up and say, you know what? This is not going to be acceptable, but I'm going to love you through it. Because isn't it true? Isn't it usually that's what causes most of our problems in life, people and circumstances? So Paul says, I want you to pray for strength and endurance to get through that. Why? Because then you can have joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints. You and me, we're all saints. If we know Jesus, because we get the inheritance of the light. Why? Because he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom, the Son who loves us.